Hi, I'm Dove Fox. You're listening to the Audible Original Podcast, Donor 9623, Part 1, where I uncover a world of betrayal in the biggest reproductive hoax of our time. Shocking details emerge in my quest for the truth, and it doesn't stop here. An all-new Part 2 is available now. You won't want to miss this thrilling next chapter only from Audible. Visit audible.com donor to learn more and sign up for your free trial. At this point, I talked with families, experts, and Zytex's former CEO. But Chris himself? I'd heard one version of him, with Mary Hartley and that crowd of prospective parents. But that Chris was performing, trying to impress. The real Chris was still a mystery to me. Who was he? And why had he done what he did? James Christian Agalese was born in 1976 on an army base. His parents divorced when he was a toddler. Chris grew up with his mom in the foothills of North Carolina. They moved to Georgia when he was a teenager. In 1995, Chris graduated from Walton High School in Marietta. So I met him in 1995. Mark Spence traveled the country with Chris in a competitive drumming group. He is one of, if not the smartest people I've ever met uh, as far as raw intellect. He was extremely charismatic. He had like a chess player's mentality. He could see things many, many, many moves down the, the track. Chris's grades earned him a music scholarship to the University of Georgia in Athens. Very, very charismatic. Very, very high energy. This is John Golson, an artist who lives in Athens. Very, pretty fun to be around. Actually, a lot of fun to be around. Contagious energy. He was fun to bounce ideas off of. Very rapid fire, very type A. Definitely type A personality, definitely extroverted. He's just always happy. Juan Carbonell met Chris in 1996. You know, he always had a smile on his face. Chris was also a partier. We, we did partake in, in recreational drug use. He had never tried LSD before he met us. I kind of feel bad for introducing him to it. He thought it was very eye-opening. I think that's when he started to think outside of the, the linear existence, so to speak. Parallel universes and a higher consciousness and all of those theories. And as he would start doing it more often, LSD, those types of conversations would become more constant. He had been taking it and not telling us. So he would take it before meeting up with us and just you know, hang out and not even let us know that he was on LSD. I've talked before about how marijuana and psychedelics can trigger a psychotic episode in people who have a higher risk for schizophrenia. That's why it was so important to Wendy that her teenage son Alex avoid these drugs entirely. Listening to Juan describe the changes he saw in Chris, it's hard not to wonder whether LSD had something to do with it. He started to become a little bit more disheveled. I know that when we first met him, he was, you know, wearing polo shirts and shorts and he was wearing sandals. And as time went on, it was pants with holes in them, T-shirts, hair was just thrown in a ponytail. I actually knew a bit about this period in Chris's life 
because a mental health history is documented in his criminal record. It says that Chris had his first psychotic episode in 1996, the same year Juan says he saw Chris try LSD for the first time. This experience sounds really scary. According to the records, Chris believed God was talking through him, giving him the power to control people's minds. He saw things too. Street signs morphed into messages aimed directly at him. Walls appeared to be bending then breaking all around him. And around 99, we kind of had a house party and Chris just shows up and his hair was cut. He had really, really short hair. And he seemed off. And of course, I was like, well, he's probably tripping again. He was laughing nervously. We asked him about his hair. Like, it was a mane. It was really nice hair. I mean, I'd, I'd never been able to grow hair like that before. So I was, man, that's, why, why the hell would you cut it off? He was like, it was getting in the way of my thinking. And then he explained that he felt like his hair were antenna that were picking up bad vibes or bad frequencies that he wanted to rid himself of that so he could think more clearly. There was one other story that stuck out in Juan's memory. So we were hanging out and the Simpsons were on, it was muted, and Chris had his back to the television. He was like laughing. And someone asked him what he was laughing at and he was like, "Uh, the Simpsons. And we were like, it's muted. He's like, yeah, but I can hear it. Oh, okay. All right. He would just continue to chuckle and he would just comment like, oh, that was funny. Around this time, Chris turned up in local police records. I got in touch with Lieutenant Derek Scott from Clark County, Georgia. He read from a police report dated May 30th, 1999, when Chris was 22. The officer asked him what he was doing. And Agalus responded, quote, no, I'm not interested in chicken. Agalus then asked the officer if he was going to shoot him. The officer told him that he had no intentions of doing so. And Agalus asked if he could have the officer's gun. Most jurisdictions probably would have just arrested him for disorderly conduct. They obviously saw that there was something more going on. For them to take him to the hospital is pretty telling. The doctors kept him there for two weeks. They diagnosed him with, quote, cannabis-induced psychotic disorder. A month later, Chris was readmitted for another couple weeks and given two new diagnoses. First, narcissistic personality disorder with significant grandiose delusions. And then, schizophrenia. Within months of that second release, he showed up at Zytex for the first time and applied to be a sperm donor. Chris provided samples to Zytex for more than 13 years. It took me a while trying to put together a timeline of this period. I kept having this sense that Chris was leading a double life. One Chris was the golden boy, dazzling Mary Hartley at the sperm bank with his aptitude for science and his love of Italian opera. Do you have any other language that you I speak about five languages semi-fluently. Spanish is the language that I learned first. I actually taught Spanish in my elementary school. Then there was that other Chris, the one in a tailspin, bouncing back and forth between the psychiatric ward and run-ins with police. This second Chris had a pretty extensive rap sheet. 
There were calls about disorderly conduct, threats to random strangers. He was banned from a county park. On November 21st of 2002, Lieutenant Scott encountered Chris outside a bar. We were dealing with a situation that didn't even involve, I think he goes by Chris, so it didn't even involve him. According to the report, the cops were questioning someone else. Chris came over and started making trouble. He was over there heckling us and just cussing us out. He was uh, constantly using profanity, refusing to comply when requested several times to leave the area. The offender continued to taunt and yell at officers about, quote, what the fucking problem was, end quote. Again, he had nothing to do with this. I turned just to look at him, and when I did that, it triggered something, and he kind of stormed at me, just charged at me, and the other officer intervened and, and arrested him in the arrest booking report. It did mention at that time that he was on medication for manic depression. When we arrest people, we do ask them about any suicidal tendencies. And he made two comments. He said, quote, it depends. And then the next quote was, your gun is awfully close now. There are several reports like this where Chris sounds self-destructive, almost like he's trying to get someone to shoot him. These reports are hard to read. And to be honest, I thought hard about whether I should mention them at all. But what Chris was going through it's not all that uncommon for people who experience psychosis. Of kids who have a first episode, about one in five try to take their own lives. Half of them succeed. The numbers are higher for males than females. This is precisely what Wendy and the other moms are trying to protect their kids from. It's why knowing the truth about Donor 9623 was so important to them. During this period, Chris was getting treated for the disease, but the medications weren't working all that well. This is also common for people with schizophrenia. In early 2004, Juan remembers hearing Chris complain about the side effects. He didn't like the way it made him feel. He said it made him feel slow. Later that year, his prescription changed. But instead of helping him, the new drugs seemed to have made things worse. In June 2004, he turned up at a gun range and told the clerk he was there to take his own life. Over the next year, he'd be hospitalized two more times. Then, on March 23, 2005, Chris made a series of decisions that would lead to his first and only felony. According to a police report, Chris planned to start a business making granite countertops. He bought a pickup truck on eBay to haul the granite, the truck still needed to be shipped, though, and Chris was out of cash. To cover the shipping costs, he broke into someone's house and stole a bunch of music equipment he planned to sell. Reading the reports, I don't get the sense that Chris was delusional during this period. Just desperate. He rented a van and wore gloves to avoid leaving fingerprints at the scene. But he still got caught. Chris was in handcuffs, sitting in the back seat of the patrol car, when he saw the guy whose house he'd broken into, a friend of a friend. Officers overheard Chris offering him $1,000 not to press charges. Chris pleaded guilty to burglary, a felony. A judge sentenced him to 10 years, eight months of it behind bars. The rest would be on probation, as long as he complied with court-ordered psychiatric treatment. Is what gets people's interest, but I could tell you had 
you know, a lot of integrity. And, and just, Within weeks after he got out, he was back at Zytex. Uh, you had a <laughs> way above average IQ, I could just tell. I appreciate And that. you were just so mature beyond your years. And I said, oh, my gosh, you know, you're just going to be the perfect sperm donor. If we can get everything. Zytex would keep selling his sperm for another decade. In April 2015, the family's lawsuits made headlines. That's Labor Day plans. Uh, I hope I didn't delete it. Oh, okay. Found it. This is from August 30th, 2016. Sperm donor admits he falsified information, says Georgia police. We were like, holy shit. What did he do? It surprised me, but it didn't surprise me. We knew something wasn't completely right with him, but we didn't know to what degree. And that article was just jaw-dropping. For all I'd learned about Chris, I still didn't get why he became a donor in the first place and did it for so long. Troubled as he was, Chris had always struck me as someone who thought deeply about things. His own life had been derailed by his mental illness. It had nearly killed him. Any kids he had would be at higher risk of developing schizophrenia too. So why impose that risk on them? They'd have no idea until it hit. He must have known that. One possibility is that his hold on reality was too loose for him to really understand what he was doing. Could his illness have compelled him to do what he did? Maybe his mental state is what drove Chris to lie his way into the Zytex catalog and keep donating his sperm for years. But from what I've learned, this seems unlikely. The schizophrenia experts I spoke to said when someone is experiencing psychosis, the person usually presents way out of the norm. Their words are disjointed, frenzied. It would have been apparent to anyone Chris dealt with at Zytex. So I don't think that's it. A more likely motivator is money. Chris didn't have much. What he did have is a rap sheet, making most jobs hard for him to get. Here's Angie. Oh, wow, I can make how much a month? Donating my sperm and nobody's going to ask questions? It was the perfect employment for somebody who had a felony. But I think it's more complicated. His lies were so elaborate. And he went back to Zytex so many times, over almost 14 years. And for what? A few thousand dollars? The reimbursement is so small that when uh, the patients see the amount of testing that they have to do, the amount of payment they receive for a sample really is fairly nominal. This is Al Yuspi, the fertility doctor who sits on the medical board for Zytex. You heard from him earlier. Dr. Yuspi told me money isn't the only reason men donate. Sometimes it's altruism. Chris himself had suggested something like this in that 2006 interview with Mary Hartley. I'm helping to give parents who are very eager to have a child one of the greatest gifts in the world. And I just, I can't deny the power of that. But listening to this, I wondered if there isn't a fine line here between altruism and narcissism. I mean, we're talking about sperm donation. You aren't just giving people any babies. They're little versions of yourself. The type of individual that think their genes need to be perpetuated. Again, Dr. Yuspi. Why else would you be a donor? Chris's old friend Juan Carbonell wondered if Chris had a messiah complex. 
an ego-driven compulsion to spread his seed. John Golson, the other friend who described Chris as super extroverted type A, he said something similar. People that are very competitive, they don't want to get rejected. It's like win. I've got to, got to win, got to win. And by winning, you know, you get to participate. I don't know. That's the only thing I can figure. I want to mention one more idea. Kind of a strange one. It has to do with this moment in Chris's conversation with Mary Hartley. I plan on pursuing the field of uh, biomedical robotics. I think it's uh, an emerging technology that's going to, you know, revolutionize medicine. Remember Angie? She's one of the moms whose detective work tracked down Donor 9623. After she learned the truth, she'd gone back and listened to this interview with Hartley. And when she heard this part of it, her ears perked up. The field that I actually study specifically is called four-sphere topology of the brain. Because Angie had just read a scientific study on schizophrenia that used some of the exact same language. There was something about information that is shared from our organs to our brain prior to showing illness. And that if we could be able to map that, so the four-sphere topography of the brain stuff is where I think he was kind of going with that. And basically what I do is I research the different interaction between systems like the digestive system or the vascular system and how the brain regulates and controls these kinds of things because I believe He had that read that article and used it in a way to help support the research that he was suggesting he was doing as a doctoral candidate. So he was talking about it as if this was research he was doing or things he was studying. Yeah, but didn't use the language of schizophrenia. In that Zytex interview, Chris seemed to be playing out some kind of fantasy that he was a brain scientist. A brain scientist whose research might help cure the very disease he himself had been diagnosed with. If we can study the brain more closely, we'll be able to diagnose and you know, sort of interpret the signals that the brain is sending before diseases actually start to manifest. Once Angie and the other moms knew the truth about Donor 9623, they realized they'd eventually have to talk with their kids about it. They'd have to walk that delicate line between letting them know what to look out for without scaring them. It was being reported on our local radio. So I'm like, we have to tell them something. He was six turning seven. Um, that the guy that we used to help create him had um, something going on with his brain. It can be genetic, it can be environmental, or it can be both. And left it that he asks the questions he wants to ask. And he's like, am I okay? Like, yeah, you're okay. That was it. That was his only question at that time. I just told her recently about the mental illness and about that he has a criminal record. This is Linda. Her daughter is eight. Like I said, she's beyond her her years. I shared the information in a basic kind of way. How long ago was that conversation? Just a couple of weeks ago. And I said, well, we figured out who he is. And she goes, wait, what? I said, well, there's some issues with this donor. I didn't go all out and explain every single thing. I just said, we watched that one movie, A Beautiful Mind. I said, well, he has that. How'd she react? She said, well, you know what? I love him anyway. I showed her pictures of him, and she was, like, teary-eyed. Teary-eyed, like, happy. Yeah. She was happy that, you know, she could put 
a face to him. She's a little girl. She watches movies. She likes the big happy ending. Is he single? <laughs> yeah, she, she asked that. Yeah. She believes in fairy tales. She figures that's how it's going to end, right? Alex Norman, the oldest of the 9623 kids, is 17 now. It wasn't necessarily his fault that he did all this stuff because he was, like, mentally not okay, and he was very much pushed forward by the company. It's hard to decide about him. I get Alex's ambivalence. At least I think I do. I know what it's like to have this jumble of curiosity and anger and love for a man you don't really know, because that's how I felt about my dad. He took off when I was a kid, and it left a person-sized hole in my life story. When you're little, and someone looms large but isn't there, you latch on to whatever bits of information you have to build a sense of who the person is. There's this grainy photo taken before my dad abandoned us, where he's got three-year-old me on his shoulders, and in each arm, one of my newborn twin brothers. In this picture, he was Superman, and his kids were everything. And that image of him, it felt good. I had this photograph. What Alex had was the donor profile. I was really proud of like all the things that he put down for like his accomplishments. I was just very happy that I got lucky with the donor that I had. When Alex saw that TV clip of his biological father, it was deeply unsettling. Alex said he looked like a homeless woodsman, nothing like the perfect donor. As a kid, you're left to wonder, which one is me? When Alex stumbled on those articles about donor 9623, he called his older brother. It's like, this changes nothing about you. You're the same person. It does not change who you are. It does not make you more like that person, like your dad. And it was something that I really needed to hear. By the time those news reports came out, Chris's life was really different than it was in his late 20s. From what I could tell, things were going better. At 38, he was a research assistant at the University of Georgia. He'd gone back to school, just earned his bachelor's degree in cognitive science. And then the reporters started showing up. Is there anything you would want to say to these families? Who are these families? The news coverage ruined his life. This is Chris's lawyer, James Johnson. There were articles about this case in every publication, from People magazine to New York Times, and it's all going to be, hey, this guy had dozens of children, lied about it, and is also mentally ill. Right there on the front page. And in a world where, when you're applying for the job, the very first thing your employer is going to do is Google you to see what comes up, knowing that every day for the rest of his life, he was not going to have an interaction where someone didn't realize who he was and see this news story and, and not be able to look past that. A year after the first stories broke, Chris's name shows up in the police logs again. Here's Lieutenant Scott reading a report from August 23rd, 2016. He showed up at the police department, just came into the parking lot, kind of ran into an officer and said he had committed a fraud and that he was there to turn himself into police. The police were confused why Chris was there. 
He wasn't under arrest. He hadn't been charged with any crime, but he'd come to turn himself in. But he had falsified paperwork for a sperm bank. He listed the name of the company as Zytex. He said that he was not truthful about his mental health history and his college degree status. The officer informed him that they would not be arresting him at the time because it was basically a civil matter. The officer was kind of confused on why he was here to begin with. Well, why wouldn't you just go and confess to the sperm bank instead of to the police department? What's your sense of why he might have done that? It sounded like he just got a guilty conscience and wanted to get something off his chest. A couple months later, police found Chris standing on the edge of a bridge. The officers got out to check on him, and he said that he wanted to end it all. This image of Chris? It haunted me. Becoming a headline had traumatized him. But the headlines weren't the whole story. Not by a long shot. All they gave were tiny snapshots of Chris's life. Really, just the bad parts. It was impossible to understand just what Chris had done and why without hearing from the man himself. So I kept trying to reach him. I contacted every relative and friend I could track down. Anyone he lived with or worked with, grew up or went to school with. All I got were dead ends. Even his attorney lost track of him. I don't know. I honestly can't tell you. We had some conversations and then he dropped off. And... I don't know where he is now. I've, like I've told you, I've forwarded your communications to his last email address. Haven't heard from him in some time. And then one day, out of the blue, I got a call. What was your donor number? Uh, I think it was 9623. That's next, in the final chapter. For more explosive investigations like Donor 9623, listen to The Debutante from journalist John Ronson. In his latest Audible original, Ronson untangles the mystery of Carol Howe, a charismatic debutante who disappeared from the world, but not before she found herself amidst one of the most terrible crimes ever to take place in America. Part conspiracy theory, part mystery. Visit audible.com slash debutante. That's audible.com slash D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E and sign up for your free trial.